so let me give a, a quick precursor or disclaimer. Um, we're this, this morning, the whole point is definitely not about learning. Um, it's about formation in some other ways. So if you are the type that is a hands-on person, all right, uh, we have some little notebooks in the back for doodling or journaling or whatever, if that's helpful for you. Um, but, but go ahead and feel free to grab one at any point, um, anything like that. And we're going to end with creative space this morning to uh, invite you. Actually, Melanie's sharing was absolutely perfect for what we're talking about, um, specifically with the discernment stuff. But, uh, but so, so just so you know, if you want to be more hands-on um, with, with all of this, then that's, a, that's an invitation for you to go and grab a Hopefully we have enough. They're just little notebooks. Otherwise, just find some scrap paper or something like that if that's, if that's helpful to you. Uh, so, let me, let me just uh, share a quick paraphrase of Isaiah 43 from the message, uh, message paraphrase. Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert and be present. I'm about to do something brand new. Um, it was a reminder to a people who had been through a whole lot, through a whole lot of people pretty far from home um, and a people that were on a journey. So now let's pivot to another ancient writing. I'll just, I'll tell you later. Lady, the gods have touched your mind. Resourceful, Odysseus said. Why be so eager to know? Still, I will tell you, hiding nothing, though your heart will gain no pleasure from it, and nor does mine. Tiresias told me to travel through many cities of men, carrying a shapely oar, not just an oar, a shapely oar, till I come to a race that knows nothing of the sea, that eat no salt with their food, and have never heard of the crimson painted ships or well-shaped oars that serve as its wings, and he gave me this as a sign, one I could not miss, and now I tell it to you. When I meet another traveler who says that I carry a winnowing fan on my broad shoulder, never lacking in humility, Odysseus, on my broad shoulder, there I must plant my shapely oar in the ground and make rich sacrifice to Lord Poseidon, a ram, a bull, and a breeding boar. Then leave for home and make sacred offerings there to the deathless gods who hold wide heavens to all of them and in their due order. In the famous Greek poem, The Odyssey, written in Greece centuries before Jesus, the hero Odysseus is swept away on many, many, many journeys, but in the most recent one for 10 years, kind of fighting a battle that's, that's not his own to fight. Um, he is eager to return to his homeland, and the whole part of this story, he's trying to get back home, and his journey keeps getting disrupted, and he spends 10 more adventurous years on the sea this time, okay? Um, trying to survive shipwrecks and storms and battles and eventually making his way home. He's seeking peace, and he's seeking tranquility in his homeland. But he seems unable to be able to reach it over and over again. Finally, he gets this mystical message from an oracle, okay? And, and, and the mystical message is that his homecoming can and will indeed happen. He's not going to die on the journey. He's going to have another season ahead. Um, but he must make one final, one final journey. Okay? And the final journey has to do with the ship oar from the boat that he is leaving. All right? 
So this oar has become a trusty companion over the past decade. It was his tool for survival on the seas, right? And a reminder of all that he's overcome. I have one here. This is not exactly an oar. It's my canoe paddle. But an oar would be a big, a big wooden long oar that, that attaches to the side of the boat, right? You know what I'm talking about? The one where you have to go, whoops, one where you have to go like this. Yeah, one of those. So, bigger than this, much more burdensome to carry, right? So he's told that he has to go across on this journey, inland, further and further and further. And he has to continue on, past city, past city, past city, until he reaches a place where no one has ever even heard of the ocean. No one's ever even heard of the sea. In fact, they don't even have access to salt. They've never even tasted salt before. That's how far away they are from salt water, okay? And, and, and he's supposed to just continue on with this ridiculous or that now serves no purpose, okay, until he finally gets to a town so far removed and someone sees what he's doing and says, oh, that must be a winnowing fan, okay? Now, a winnowing fan is a tool that was used to separate wheat and chaff, all right? So, so uh, the, the process that you would do, well, we'll get to that in just a second. We'll get to that in a second because it's really important. But it was, it was what you would use to clear off the chaff or the husk from wheat so that you could grind the wheat up, make bread, all right? Uh, so, so anyways, uh, what happens, right? He's, when, when he reaches that point, he's supposed to plant it in the ground, maybe bury it a little bit, plant it in the ground and offer a prayer to his God, and then leave it behind and begin the journey back home. And the journey back home, the next season, will be able to be one of peace. All right? So it's this obviously, like, what, what an, an odd task, by the way. Like, what a weird, weird task, and what a great story. Um, but, but this ore that he has to plant, at one level, it's a, it's a loss of identity, right? This, this living on the ocean and in this land and, and having these tools of movement, that's been what's defined him. So on one level, it's a, a loss of, of identity. Of course, this whole story is, is, has allegorical elements all through it, and it's open to all of loads of meaning in each element, and we can interpret it in our own way, so we're going to. Um, and, and here's why I'm, I'll, I'll get to why I'm actually sharing it this morning. Um, but on one level, it's this loss of identity. On another level, it's leaving something behind that's no longer necessary right? And on another level, it's embracing a new life and a new season ahead. And yet on another level, it's marking a shift with different values and different significant markers than before. Um, What was critical and meaningful to Odysseus in the past season, and at one time will not be needed by him in the next season of life, um, He needs to leave behind one of the things that defined him because a new season was at hand and he would actually have to intentionally place it in order to move on. Jesus is constantly inviting us to this sort of stuff. All the time. Um, We can call it pruning. We can call it becoming new. We can call it being born again. But Jesus is constantly inviting us to work out our salvation, to leave behind what's unnecessary to embrace what's next. Uh, And there are times that something that has been a part of our season for so long needs to be left behind in in order to fully live into what's next. Uh, And there are times when things simply need to be laid down, right? 
so that our hands are free and new things can be held on to. We're in a, a new year now. And as much as I'm not really into New Year's resolutions personally, not my thing that much, I am into intentional reflection. And by the way, if you are, that's great. Awesome if it works for you. I am into intentional reflection and purposefully moving forward with Jesus. I am into identifying what is good and beautiful and fruitful in our lives and what isn't worth giving our precious time and minutes to. So this morning, we're going to make space to do just that. We're going to listen. We're going to reflect. We're going to notice what new things God might be wanting us to do or be, what new things God might be wanting to grow in each one of us. Uh, Now, I find it incredibly fascinating that when Odysseus travels inland, okay, when he goes inland, I just mentioned it, but someone needs to tell him that they think his oar is a winnowing for, or a winnowing uh, tool, a farm tool, right? They have, to, they have to tell him and identify it as something different than what he has always identified it as. Um, and again, like I said, this, this tool is the, separating the stuff that gives life and energy from the dead stuff, the wheat from the chaff, all right? Um, you know what wheat is, I, I would assume, um, but it's a, it's a small kernel, all right? Now, what chaff is, is the loose outer level of the grain, all right? Um, and, and it's on wheat, it's on other grains, and it has to be separated in a, a threshing process. At least that's how it was long ago. A process you've heard in the scriptures, maybe you've heard the phrase uh, threshing floor, okay? A threshing floor was where essentially you would take a bunch of wheat that you chopped off, a bunch of stalks, you'd put it on the ground, and you just start beating the heck out of it, all right? And so you would, you would slam it, you'd mix it up, whatever, and the goal was to break it. Actually, the goal was to bruise it without fully breaking it, but that's a whole different story. Um, but, but the goal was to break it down enough that they started to, to separate. And then you would do one of two things. You could take, if it was breezy on the outside, you took something that looked like a pitchfork, and you would do this, and you'd toss it up, and all of the grain would fall down, and all of the chaff would blow away, Right? So sometimes it's, it's called a winnowing fork. That's why I keep messing that phrase up every time I say winnowing fan. I keep thinking fork because that's the other thing. The other thing, though, is a fan. And a fan is you make your own wind, right? You, you do this on the floor, and it blows away everything that's not of nutrition, not of life, not of value. So in the scriptures, chaff is often talked about as exactly that. All right? Um, so so um, they would, things that get carried away, these fine particles like dust. So in Isaiah 40, um, we, we read, this is about God. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff, right? Um, in the scriptures, things that are called chaff often appear as important, and they appear as significant in the world, right? Rulers and strength and power, the rich who exploit others. These all appear to be the real thing, but just like chaff, they're going to pass away. They don't bring nutrition. They don't last. They're not transformed into something incredible and beautiful and life-giving. All right, so what's of value is actually left after the chaff gets blown away, and it's the things of God, not the external markings of power or control or having your life together, or accomplishment. Chaff has little value. In the New Testament, we get an interesting statement from John the Baptist, Matthew 3. Um, Oh, wait, there's a Daniel passage too. Yes, thanks. 
Um, and here's, here's just another reminder of how Chaff is talked about. And this is the vision that Daniel has. Actually, it's the vision that the king has that Daniel interprets. Um, the, there's this huge statue. This, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away, leaving them without a, leaving, or away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So the idea is, listen, these, these nations and these, these people and places that we think are, are the epitome of power, each of those stones, each of the, uh, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, each of those things represented a different dynasty. They would all not last, but God would. The kingdom of God would. It would overcome these things. It's more powerful. The rest is just going to be blown away. So, so that's the imagery. <clears throat> now, like I said, the New Testament, we get this really interesting uh, passage from, from uh, John the Baptist in Matthew 3. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John going around telling everybody, hey, be on the lookout and start to align your lives with the justice and the love and the repentance that God invites you to and requires so that you can um, turn in a new direction. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here it is. His winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, we love to um, put all sorts of imagery on top of this that's not there. BTW. Um, Okay? So, yeah, uh, chaff was used for fuel often um, in ancient Near East times. But but we want to say, we want to say, well, okay, so, so what he's going to do, and, and maybe, not to, be, not to get myself in too much trouble, but maybe this is what John the Baptist actually thought, because all of Jesus' other contemporaries thought this is what the Messiah was going to do. Come in and just destroy all the evildoers and take all the righteous just kind of happily away to a holy huddle, right? And then they're, in, they're the ones in power once the, the Romans are overthrown. However, what we actually see here is that the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus is to take everything that comes and to help separate what's of value from what's dead. To, to find what brings life and what can nourish. The bread, bread was foundational to all of life in Israel, right? So, so to, be able, to be able to see, that's why Jesus calls himself the bread of life. To be able to see what, what is able to become bread, that kind of fruit, that kind of nourishment, and the rest to move it away and to help invite the best and clear and clarify what is good and beautiful and meaningful in our world and within us and maybe among people. But, but, but Jesus helps with threshing. Jesus helps us separate these things. And maybe we find ourselves mostly chaffish, which means we need to turn some things around. Or maybe we find within us things that are not lasting. Or maybe we find that we are relying on things that we thought and we play around like have tons of life in them because our world tells us that it does. Wealth, power, and and we just need to be reminded by Jesus that the, the job of Jesus is to invite us into true life and that is, that means discerning what is good and beautiful and what's worth letting pass away. There's something powerful in this. Um, Jesus brings out what is life and goodness and helps us understand what is lifeless and unnecessary and unhelpful. So we each have chaff in our lives. Um, the stuff that 
isn't nourishing to us, the wheat and the stuff, um, and, and the wheat, the real stuff, it's hidden somewhere underneath. And often we can't see it until we break things down a little bit, until we, till we do the work of peeling back the layers, however you want to talk about it. Um, that's why this story is hitting me so interestingly this week when, when I, uh, and it was actually Bethany's comment about wheat and, and chaff as we were talking about holding life with an open hand earlier this week um, that got me rolling on, on all of this. And, um, and, but the part of the story, when I started thinking about the Odyssey, is that, um, you know, he walks until someone notices that his oar is actually a tool for noticing what's worth keeping and wor- worth releasing. So it's not just a random farm tool that the person notices. They say, that's a tool to help discern what's life-giving and what's dead that you're holding on to right now. Don't miss, you know, don't miss the opportunity <laughs> for a little self-reflection here, Odysseus. It's not just that you're starting a new season, but you have a tool right here that is valuable to help you understand what is actually life. What does Jesus want to bring as we, as we put our, our lens on it? Um, and what's worth truly releasing? Um, yeah, what's fruitful and what's chaff? Laying the ore down is not just starting a new season, it's to help him discern. How can what you are holding on to right now be a tool for clarity? Whatever you might be holding on to, how might that be a significant tool to help you see what does or does not matter, to help you discern? Uh, What is God speaking to you today? Like I said, it's about listening today, not learning. We're trying to hear the Spirit's prompting and urging and whispering. The writer of Hebrews talks about our journey like this in chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I love this, and this is open for interpretation. He's talked about all of the people of faith that have gone before. However, I don't think that there's good reason for us to say it's only the people of faith that have gone before. I think being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses is saying that over the course of history, God's people bring encouragement and inspiration. Those who have lived faithfully in the past, and I would go ahead and venture to say those who are sitting within 10 or 15 feet of you right now, Okay, since we're surrounded, let us throw off um, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I obviously have a special proclivity to this passage because it talks about running. But what I think is fascinating is we only tend to use this and talk about the sin that so easily entangles. But the writer here clearly acknowledges that there's all sorts of stuff that can hinder us. He says, Throw off the things that hinder and the sin. <laughs> sin is one of the, th- is, is chaff, right? Sin is one of those things that pulls us in a direction that's away from God's heart. But there's all sorts of like good stuff that also does. Like, I don't know if Netflix is a sin, you know, but there's probably a line, uh, depending on how many hours a month you end up, you know, cataloging, that might pass over into chaff territory, right? Um, like there, there's things with, even good things, I might argue. You may find yourself playing so many roles in your life and doing so many good things that you actually don't love any of it. And you need to release some stuff and figure out what's worth holding. And nobody else can really tell you that. Community can help discern, but nobody can tell you that. You have to be in touch with the Spirit enough. And so there's beauty there. Um, But anything that gets in the way of the beautiful journey of what Jesus wants to experience, love, redemption, grace, freedom, compassionate mercy, wholeness. It's all, anything that gets in the way of that is, is allowed to be released. Um, what if the thing that you, that has fueled you for years, 
helping you battle through and survive is the exact thing that needs to be released in order to peacefully move with God to the next phase of your life. What if your need to prove yourself, which really made you a successful business person or entrepreneur, is now the thing that's hindering you from being fully present with your kids as they grow up? What if the need to make everyone happy is not allowing you to live in freedom and grace as you follow Jesus? What if your addiction to digital connectedness has blinded you from seeing what really matters and is worth spending time on in the next season? What if your cynicism about churches, which kept you vigilant and protected you after having your trust betrayed in a previous experience, is a little less necessary as you step into meaningful, trusting relationships? What if your strength and your ability to be independent, which propelled you to leave an abusive relationship years ago, is not what's needed now as opportunities arrive for loving and vulnerable friendships? What if a black and white understanding of the world, which helped establish your convictions early in your faith, needs to be released so that you can walk with Jesus in the gray and complicated areas of everyday life? What if your oar has been the self-protection of passivity, which allowed you to be comfortable and quiet, needs to be released because God is stirring you to take some risks and start using your gifts in new ways? What's, what's your oar? What's worth putting in the ground and burying a bit to embrace what's new? Um, 